Hi, this is Michael from Bird Problems. Hey, I'm Daniel from Bird Problems, and this and you're is listening the, to concerts the Concerts That, that Made Us. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. To the podcast, concerts that made us interviews and stories, tales from the bus. We love taking you back to when it all went down. The greatest live shows and that cheering crowd sound. It's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. On this episode, I'm joined by Daniel and Michael from Bird Problems. This is another listener-requested episode, so shout out to Dan from Venicava. I chat with Daniel and Michael about everything that is bird problems, including past, present, future, and some pretty cool concert experiences. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show.
Daniel and Michael, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thanks for having us. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? You doing well? Doing well, thanks. Doing great. Brilliant, brilliant. So we opened the show with your track Pigeon Superstition. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, so this one, definitely an upbeat, kind of chaotic tune, uh, especially with that main riff, which I believe was the first first thing that came about for that song. And yeah, it's it's a really, I view it as sort of a really nonstop song. You know, we, we there's not really a lot of breaks in there. We're really going hard. Uh, I sweat a lot playing that one. And, you know, it's it's always always fun to have songs like that that are just energy high energy the whole time one part leading into the next not not necessarily much coming back in you know keeping it progressive and uh and heavy you know the, the that main riff is, is nice and heavy and catchy so i i really i really like that one yeah i i think i like how it's dynamic like, like you're saying keeps people guessing not everyone knows exactly where it's going to go it's a little show-offy i think also in some ways which which i think people like um and it definitely was the one that seemed to resonate the most with people off of that EP. Something I noticed now when I listened to it was at the start, like you said, you don't know where it's going to go. It starts off and you're kind of expecting one thing. And then all of a sudden it just breaks into something completely different, you know? Totally. I think that's something we try to do a lot of like the, I guess, surprising and and contrasting things, you know, there's kind of the nice chords that come in. And then even when the, the main drum and bass join those chords, even already you're kind of subverted because it's not really necessarily the, the beat you were expecting or the feel you were expecting. And then we flip it on its head again. I think we, we like doing that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Keep them guessing, huh? And it's off the EP Beyond the Nest. What was the process like for making that? Oh, Beyond the Nest was interesting. So it, we probably recorded that over the course of several years, um, kind of just demoing things. Um, I'll talk a little bit about our process. Daniel can fill in the blanks. Um, but basically, uh, we didn't want to do a full album. We wanted to just get stuff out. Um, we figured uh, another album would take a, a really long time, and we wanted to just kind of keep spreading things out. Um, we pretty much demoed everything. We were actually back and forth between several cities. The band at that point was split between two cities. So there was a lot of travel involved. Um, our guitarist, Joseph, who en- does the engineering and, and production, uh, actually came uh, to see me. I, I do the vocals. Um, and we recorded the bulk of it, the bulk of the vocals, at least in around 10 days um, on university campus where I was uh, near where I was living at the time. Joseph slept on like my couch in my studio apartment. It was really overall very diy um and uh, definitely a grind yeah and that's kind of the process we we have kept for the existence of the band i mean we do things very very much ourselves and luckily joseph has been working on uh his engineering recording uh things like that mixing so having a guy like that in your band allows you to to just kind of do most of the stuff yourself and really our our only thing that we needed to outsource for uh, for Beyond the Nest was drums, so we we went up and took a road trip to to the U.S. and worked with a, a lovely man named Evan Sammons uh, out in Maine. We stayed out there uh, for a couple of days and got the drums done, just because it was just the perfect room and the perfect connection. So, um, but yeah, the writing—I mean, the writing and demoing happens over many months, even even a, a couple of years. Uh, to we're very picky uh, with with our songs and and 
we don't just uh, kind of write and that's it. We we really go over things a lot and we write too many songs and we scrap a lot of them. Like we we're very uh, hard on ourselves. You mentioned there the band was split between two cities. What's it like trying to keep a band together when you're not all in the same location? So it wasn't actually so bad. So um, we started off in Montreal in Quebec, and then we we ended up uh, with half the band in Toronto, which is about a six hour drive. Um, and, you know, uh, we found that we had already started doing shows in Toronto, and we were making a lot of trips out there anyways. And there was a definitely like a nice dedicated prog scene over there as well. So we found ourselves uh, playing some really good shows in Toronto anyways. So for me, at least, I was living in Toronto. It really cut down on travel for me because I didn't have to drive the whole band six hours anymore uh, on those road trips. Uh, and it just meant that instead of all of us traveling once in a while to do a gig, uh, sort of half of us are traveling. And like I was saying before, we do our tracking all separate anyways. Um, since our first album, we also haven't really written necessarily by jamming because the stuff is a lot more deliberate and calculated. We will write almost uh, by sending stuff back and forth, you know, all write stuff on my own, practice melodies, send them back, we'll iterate. And then we only really need to get together for small bursts uh, to kind of track each of our parts. And was there ever any plans to release physical copies of the EP? Sort of. I, I think that's still, a lot of that stuff depends on the demand and, and it's tough. Like we we did for our first album have have CDs and then CDs kind of went out of fashion and now it's now it's a vinyl pressing and then the issue over the pandemic with vinyls was crazy like you couldn't the production slowed so much and it, so it's it's tough to to go through that and then like spend a ton of money and then you just have a bunch of vinyls lying around like i think we're, we're just finishing selling our cds from like 2017 now so it's it's a long it's a long process to just kind of keep stuff around and stock but we have had a lot of requests for it so Maybe the next release, we'll we'll think about it. And there's always the option to to do something with Beyond the Nest uh, physically. I just I don't know how many people still do CDs so, uh, and everything. Like a lot of what I hear is is that people want it on on vinyl, which is just a whole other can of worms that we haven't explored yet. But we should moving forward. I, yeah, I would say. Well, first of all, if anyone's listening and wants a vinyl, let us know. Hit us up for sure because um, that's the only way we'll know that there's demand. But but I think I'd love to do a vinyl run of something and we'd probably just need to do like pre-orders and get a sense of who wants it first. And if enough people actually want it, then we can go ahead and do the do the run. I always find it funny with physical copies nowadays. You know, it just, it feels like second nature when someone says they're putting something out on vinyl. But when a band says nowadays they're putting something out on CD, I instantly in my head go, CD really? That's that's still a thing, you know? <laughs> no, exactly. It's it's weird. And I, I I like I collected a couple of CDs like of when I was listening to Prague and metalcore and stuff. And yeah, they're just kind of sitting there now. You can't. What am I going to do with them? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know you guys are working on some new music at the moment. What's the process for you guys like when it's time to make new music? Yeah, so we usually uh, start sort of, uh, it starts with uh, Joseph, our guitarist, and I, I, I'm I'm the drummer. And so it's a lot of uh, demoing on Logic um, in, a, in a room. I'm not even behind the kit. Uh, drum programming, uh, messing around with riffs, sort of ideas. I might come with a, with a drum part programmed, a pattern for a breakdown program. Joseph might have a riff idea in mind, and we're kind of bouncing stuff off of each other. 
and then uh, that slowly develops into sort of a skeleton, a couple couple of riffs and transitions together. And then uh, we'll usually we'll get everyone in the room and start to sort of think about where it's going to go, what can happen here. Michael will start writing his parts, his vocals. Um, bass will have maybe be outlined sort of in advance, but then Matt will come in and, and add his flair to it. Or And again, we're, we're all coming into the room at a certain point and just kind of, okay, what's this song going to be? Where can this go? And, and giving each other ideas about our, about each other's parts too, not only like stuck in our own stuff, but uh, yeah, it's, it's very just like get in a room for a few hours and, and grind out ideas and, and uh, over weeks or months or whatever, sometimes day, like a jerk chicken on the album, I think it was two different sessions. It was like two days. It just, it would, it just wrote itself. It was one of those songs like that, that can happen. But I, I know that uh, one of the songs on our, on our new thing that we're going to put out is like, it literally took over a year to finish. Like, it's just, just cause you parking, you, you, you park it and then you, you, you do other stuff, you come back. So it really depends. But it's it's there's a good mix of like the collaborative and then the individual work so it's uh it's interesting in that way I'll, I'll build on that a bit like i always because we sort of have pauses between writing sessions i usually have about like a 40 page document of lyrics and concepts before there's anything um and then i'll sort of write these skeletons of songs but like daniel was saying we're hard on ourselves and sometimes i'll record something and it just the words, since I've written them before, they don't really fit with the melody or they don't really fit the area. So I'll often have to just rewrite something kind of on the fly as we're recording. And that's where I'll go back to my document and say, okay, like I need a few words on this theme that might rhyme with this. And so I'll quickly take and adapt things. And uh, a lot of stuff uh, that's on there ends up sort of being written kind of on the fly, which is pretty fun. I'd like to think it still kind of fits and works conceptually. So yeah yeah and you know i have to mention your sound i know we spoke briefly about it earlier but your sound is the first thing that struck me was it's like if jazz music and metal music had a baby you know it's kind of do you ever go to a jazz gig and it's like all the individual musicians just take off and do their own thing and it sounds like it shouldn't work but it works perfectly that's what your sound is kind of like. How did you, you know, come up with that sound? Was it a conscious decision to sound like that? I mean, uh, so. Oh, I was just going to say, our band <laughs> is literally 50% jazz musicians and 50% metal kids. Like Daniel and I <laughs> yeah. like, grew up uh, listening to metal core. And when we first started jamming, we were playing stuff that I'm sure we'll touch on when we talk about those uh, concerts and our influences but we were just going to all these metal core shows, Escape the Fate, Energy Carry, A Day to Remember, um, doing like this sort of pop punk, hardcore influenced stuff and writing things like that. And then Joseph and Matt both have gone to jazz school and are jazz guys who like metal. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it kind of evolves naturally from just that 50 50. Um, you want to add anything, Daniel? No, that's, that's, that's exactly what I was going <laughs> to say. It's, it's, it's interesting. We all like similar stuff like there's there's overlap for bands that we all listen to that have that exact same sort of like oh this is something in between genres you know uh and then we'll all listen to our own stuff and we'll all yeah michael and i grew up uh maybe on the heavier end of things but then getting influenced by these guys as we started jamming together like with jazz with instrumental stuff with prog music and then all of that meshing together it's really yeah it's a product of our influence too uh, for sure like what we listen to what we like uh and not necessarily trying to emulate one thing but just like a bunch of things and it ends up being this weird 
frog baby that we make. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Makes sense. Now for any of the European listeners, you know, that might not have heard you guys, I'd love to give them a bit of a history of the band. So you've been together for 10 years, but what's the story behind the band? How did Bird Problems come to be? Yeah, so like Michael was mentioning, like we're so we're brothers. I don't know if that was clear or not. But I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so we grew up, uh, you know, I like two, two years apart. He's the older brother. He's showing me all these all these cool bands, and I'm like, I just want to, I want to listen to everything that he's showing me. So, uh, yeah, it starts with like with that, just growing up together and and listening to music, and then he played guitar a bit. I started with piano really young and then I didn't, I didn't really like it. And then at a certain point I, I really wanted to, to play the drum. So it started just us two jamming, uh, together and, and Michael was very, very creative, like writes not only like musically, but like he wrote stories even before they wrote, wrote, he always wrote. So very easy when you're like jamming with someone who can just create stuff. He's like, oh, I wrote this riff. I wrote this song. Like, so it was just super easy to just like write drum parts to that. And then, so you get, you start practicing songwriting really early, which is huge. And then, uh, we went to high school with, with Joseph and, uh, sort of started, you know, you go to the music room at high school and you meet people. So started playing with him and he, he was kind of more into like the dad rock stuff, but I think we, we, we showed him a little more of the metal core and a little more metal stuff. And he like, like blew his mind. He was super into it. So then he started practicing and learning more of that stuff. And, um, then we met our original bassist in uh, in college, and we were with him for a couple of years. And then we just switched for uh, for Matt a couple of years ago as well, uh, who who we always kind of knew as as well, and was around in the scene, and went to jazz school with Joseph. So there was that connection. But we just yeah, we just met each other and kind of asked to you want to jam, you want to write some some stuff, and yeah, that was it. Michael, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, so our first, uh, we're actually coming up on the nine-year anniversary of our first gig. So we were definitely playing stuff together before then. Uh, Our first few gigs were really in these, like, kind of sketchy underground spots. uh, And and it was just, like, very much a product of the time. Um, And we were really, like, just on the grind. Like, paying our dues, you know, probably had to put down a deposit for our first few shows to, like, and and make it back by selling the tickets. Like, really some... uh, some some shady situations but you know we would do that one underground show and then someone would say hey i know promoter at this bar and then we'd play there and someone might you know give us a lead for something else and so we just really really gigged around the scene for a long long time uh and now now we're finding that especially when we're writing we're we're trying to slow down not play as many shows because it just we only have so much time um so we're focused more on the writing but that's pretty much been the evolution. We, we put out our first album in 2017, which was this like big concept album. I wrote uh, a novella to accompany it. So I have like a chapter for each uh, for each song that kind of feeds into the concept. It was this big thing. Um, and since then, we put out Beyond the Nest, which was a little bit more contained. Um, and yeah, and we're looking forward uh, to doing more cool stuff. Oh, I see. I see. And... Before we move on, I have to ask, you guys is probably asked all the time. You probably hate hearing it. What's with the obsession with birds? Well, you know, as it's it's interesting. We, we hear a lot of interpretations of the band name, and I, I love them all. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's really easy to write 
songs about birds and bird imagery <laughs> and use it for uh, for merch. You know, it's it's a really easy. Like we kind of stumbled into it though. It wasn't that wasn't the intention. It wasn't like <clears throat> let's make our band about birds. It was just let's make a band. We're sixteen and we need a name, and we just like we came up with with, with bird problems, but uh, it it ended up doing this well because yeah every, every merch design every logo you know uh song names titles beyond the nest was all bird inspired there's a there was a, you know all, all the songs were bird themes and it's easy to lean into we we always talk amongst ourselves if we want to lean further into it or or not and i guess it depends but i, I yeah easy imagery easy writing uh you know it's all right there it's a good idea actually when you put it like that <laughs> that's that's pretty much it, what was I going to say? Well, there's always, we like telling the story that uh, we, one of our, and we played a show a few years into being a band and one of the bands we were playing with was like, so like, when are you guys going to get a real name? Um, <laughs> so, um, that just made us like, well, now we can't change it. Right. Um, <laughs> so that kind of emboldened us. Um, I also, I've done a lot of stuff kind of attached to the band based on the theme. So um, I work in in game design and stuff like that. So I would make these games sort of also based on birds, like using some of the music. And I would give these like talks and presentations and show all these bird things. And I, and just eventually people would just see me and be like, oh, yeah, I, I saw you give that talk. You're the bird guy. <laughs> and so I, I I again sort of became the the bird guy through this unwittingly. And when you look back, there's like, I, just like written all these papers on birds and then like all this bird psychology stuff. So I, I think that comes through and beyond the nest, but it wasn't necessarily on purpose. Again, it's such a common image. And like Daniel was saying, people interpret it all sorts of different ways, uh, which is really what you want. And if you just Google list of birds, you know, choose one, write a song. That's like, that's good constrained <laughs> writing. Otherwise there's too much possibility space. Yeah, yeah, true. Do you guys have individual nicknames for birds for yourselves or anything? Is it Has it gone that far yet? We were just talking about this, actually. I I I, I know that like your writing pseudonym is is M A Goose. Yes. So so the I mentioned I wrote that novella for for our first album Tar, and I wrote it under the pen name of of Merlin and Hinga Goose, which all three of them are are birds. Um, but we don't really like people always ask which who's who on the album cover because there's four of us and there's four birds, but th- those birds are the songs like they're. They're all, all of us, I think. They're all <laughs> facets of us. <laughs> yeah, agreed. See, I see. And uh, you guys asked for my best bird pun. This is really bad. <laughs> I can't believe I'm actually going to say this. But it's kind of music linked. What do you call birds who don't know song lyrics? I don't know. Hummingbirds. Oh, nice. That's good. I like <laughs> that's that. Great. <laughs> that's great. That's very good. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we'll dive in to see your influences a bit. And I love getting this insight. Can you remember your earliest musical memory? I, I have a pretty vivid recollection of us like dancing in our pajamas to music. Like one of that's one of my earliest memories. Like just was it th- was it Moulin Rouge? <laughs> it could have been, or or like Outcast. Like I don't know. Like we're lucky to have very musical parents, so like they were always playing music in the in the house and stuff. And especially like the yeah, the classic rock was always playing. Like the I don't know, but but 
I don't know. I mean, I, I used to carry around a Walkman, speaking of CDs, those Walkman CD players where you just like put, and we, we always burnt CDs of our favorite songs. And then you just have like, you'd like write your name on it. And then you'd have like the CD pack and your Walkman. And anywhere we'd go, we would just like bring the Walkman and like, just like pace around and like listen to Nickelback or whatever I was listening to at like 10 years old. And uh, yeah, that's a pretty early one for me. Earlier than that, for me, it's probably like, yeah, it's stuff that our parents were listening to. It's some show tunes, definitely Les Miserables. Um, A lot of that was playing in the car and like um, crash test dummies and stuff like that. Um, Hey, yeah, by Outcast. <laughs> that was a banger in our household when we were um, very young. <laughs> and in, yeah, in terms of metal stuff, I think the NHL 2006 uh, video game soundtrack is what like awakened something. Um, there, there were some heavy tunes in that. And I always follow it on with, you know, what kind of music were you exposed to in your teen years by your peers? And how do you think it molded you into the musician you are today? Yeah, so peers. So actually, I have a vivid memory of when I was 11 years old. Um, I was at summer camp and someone had just burnt a CD of like, this is good stuff, put it on. And it had Red Flag by Billy Talent on it. Um, so then I was like, what is this? Like, what is going on here? You can like, um, that was like the first time I had heard, like, I guess, I don't know what it was at the time. I guess it's punky. Um, but that definitely was a vibe. And again, that was in several other like, uh, GameCube games. A lot of it was playing those video games and listening to the soundtracks as well. And Daniel and I must've played countless hours of NHL 06 on the GameCube and every single song on that, there was like Avenged Sevenfold. The theme song was by this band American Head Charge. Um, there was, uh, a ton of stuff. There was some Atreyu on there, Bullet for My Valentine, like, that really got us going uh, in that genre. Yeah, and there was there, there was a lot of like discrepancy for me between, yeah, like peers were listening to like, you know, Justin Timberlake, who who's you know sick like in his own right, and I I still like some Justin Timberlake tunes, but and so I'd listen to a bit of that of like the like poppy top forty stuff that like my my peers were listening to, because I we didn't really grow up in like metal scenes. Like my metal connection was my so like I'd come home and he'd show me like yeah Lincoln Park and like uh, you know these Green Day and uh, and all that. So that those were like the really early Breaking Benjamin, like really early first metal bands that like I was exposed to. So there was a there was a difference of like yeah maybe some more hip hop like rap pop stuff from like friends of mine and then Michael showing me like the metal stuff and that really like getting getting a rise out of me. I I, I remember first hearing you mentioned escape the fate which which we'll get into later but first hearing escape the fate and having there be singing and screaming and like like in the same line like it was like the chorus was he sings a line and then screams a line and it like it it like ruined me i was i was so confused it was the coolest thing i ever heard and i i was like i need everything every music needs to be this uh, so and, and that, that's a really early one that i remember you showed me them and and me wanting to just find more of that before we dive into your concerts then what is your local music scene like is there much competition is it very oversaturated and uh, depends I mean, here here or toronto <laughs> well, well montreal 
it, it's not it's not such a it, there's a great music scene in Montreal overall. Um, I think that we always had trouble fitting in on a bill here. So definitely when we play in Toronto, there's we can play at like a prog show. So we'll play along with all prog bands here. Um, generally, we would end up playing with like whatever. We would play with pop punk bands. We would play with death metal bands. We would play on, play on these really esoteric bills, which I, I love that. But it's also harder. I, I think you're more likely to find fans and find people who like what you're doing when the show is more focused like that. So it was really cool. And I love that contrast. And I love going to those shows that were super all over the place. Um, but from a more practical standpoint, uh, probably wasn't as as productive for us. But it was fun. Definitely not oversaturated. I think there's a healthy scene here. You can always find a show. Yeah, it's decent. It's just, it's like you're saying, like there's, it, they love like hardcore and metalcore in Montreal. Like there's huge scenes for that and pop punk, like huge. But but Prague is way less less so. So yeah, it's 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 interesting. And then we go to Toronto and it's like, there's way more prog bands there, but uh, yeah, I think I think after a couple of years of playing shows in Toronto, like you, we become buddies with them, and like we we pretty consistently play with this with similar similar bands, and or members of those bands would start new bands, and like you, we got to know that scene pretty well too. And it, it's cool to be a part of of like different multiple scenes, multiple local scenes, because we were we were half here, half there, you know. So I, I liked I liked being exposed to that, but now especially like since we're we're gigging so rarely. Uh, yeah, it's like Michael saying, like it's it's an interesting challenge every time to be like, all right, well, what what bill really works? Because when we are playing, it's like, all right, this is our only show for six months. Like, let's let's find a fun, interesting bill. And yeah, I, I was I've, we never been too stingy about it, but it's it's always an interesting uh, an interesting challenge. Yeah, yeah. And we'll dive straight into your concert experiences. So, as a concert goer, what gigs do you think have made you? It's a good one. So I'll say the second show I ever went to was, was Lincoln Park in 2008. Um, and I, they were uh, opening bands were Coheed and Cambria and Chiodos. And at the time, I did not know those two openers. I, I really like Coheed and Cambria now, but I did not know them then. I was just like, there's a dude with a hair with hair doing stuff. It's kind of cool. <laughs> um, but like Daniel was saying, like I was so into the contrast, like singing, screaming. I was into a lot of the rapping and screaming stuff also. I went to more Hollywood Undead shows than I'd like to admit. Um, <laughs> but definitely that Linkin Park show was really formative. And otherwise, um, uh, Enter Shikari. Seeing Enter Shikari for the first time, they were opening for A Day to Remember. And they quickly became my favorite band ever. Because again, the contrast, having those electronics and seeing them do something different live, having them remix their songs live, that's the only band where if I'm showing them to someone, I show them like a live clip from Reading or something uh, to show you like, look at these, like they're all DJs, they're remixing their stuff. So seeing them live and also seeing the way that that uh, their singer Rao performed on stage really influenced my kind of onstage persona. Um, seeing Energy Carry and another band Let Live, the two of them had such um, kind of almost manic frontmen who were running around, climbing stuff, going in the crowd, rolling around on the ground. And I was like, that's like the energy that I, that I want to bring to a show. Um, I really quickly stopped playing guitar live because I wanted to be able to do that and run around and climb stuff and and uh, jump in the crowd, uh, you know, roll around on the ground. So 
uh, basically seeing anyone doing that type of stuff live was super inspirational. Yeah, it's, I mean, that show that he's talking about, Energy Kari and Let Live, was on my list, too, because that's, I mean, we went and saw that show. One one of my earliest show experiences, I was pretty young. And I mean, yeah, I can echo the love for Shikari. Like that band's insane and and definitely shaped us both as as musicians. Like seeing them live is is always I've seen them a couple of times. You've seen them way more than me, but I've seen them at least three or four times and it's like blows my mind every time. They're they're such excellent performers and all of them do vocals and they 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 just you it's such an energy thing. Like you just you they're giving it right to you and they're feeding off of you like it's they they put on beautiful shows i also really uh i saw more recently i saw a tesseract live and that really really uh was unbelievable they're one of the better sounding bands live i've ever seen um and north lane as well the both of those bands i saw them and i can say they both sound better live than than on tracks and they're both like highly like you know, high level of production, like they sound unbelievable record on, on their records, but live, they, they blew me away. Both of those bands, they just had it so dialed and they, they put on such a show and, uh, yeah, two, two of my favorites as well. Uh-huh. Some pretty cool, uh, cool gigs there. And for any of the listeners that haven't caught one of your gigs, then what can they expect? Michael rolling around on the ground for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so definitely, um, that type of energy I, I I try to bring and and it's tough because when we're playing newer songs, they're always harder. We always write songs that are that are too hard for us to play and we have to learn them. So as we're playing newer and newer stuff, I'm finding I have to try harder to actually do them well and I end up moving less. And I can't wait until we've played these new things enough that they're so second nature that I can get a little bit more crazy with my performance um and jump around and, and do more stuff like that. Um so definitely uh high energy we like to bring uh, I think something really unique about our shows is also uh, the level of improv that we bring. So we always try to do kind of original solos and stuff. I know we try to give Daniel a drum solo when we can. Joseph won't always play the guitar solos exactly the same. And in the past, we've done total improvised jams at shows. So we've just been like, we're going to make something up on the spot. Sometimes I've asked for words from the audience and I've written like live lyrics, basically, and improvised <laughs> a song about like you know based on three words that people give us so i think that's pretty unique for our genre especially to do jams like that geez i uh i don't think i've ever been to a gig that sounds even close to that that sounds like <laughs> like just such a good time we should yeah, do that I'll more just, i'll echo that with saying like that's what we hear a lot is like you guys just look like you're having fun like we're clearly just having a great time we, we don't take ourselves like super seriously you know what i mean like on stage like we're down to mess around we're looking at each other we're making faces like especially with improv stuff like we're you know whatever like it's it's for fun and we can still like produce something fun and and like good sounding i hope but uh in those times it's it's just fun it's just the most fun to be on stage and to to be able to explore like that and uh yeah is there a gig experience that you would relive over and over again? You know, the perfect gig in your mind that you just constantly go back to? Uh, really recently, we opened for a band called Protest the Hero, um, which is really, really, really an influential band. Like, I would not have, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to do a concept album without their concept album, Kazaya, which was, again, like one of those gateway metal um uh, albums i don't know they're like 
they have a huge, huge, and they're pretty big, but they have a massive cult following, especially in, in Toronto, because they're from Ontario, but pretty big following here. And that's one of the first times that I already had tickets to go to that show. And then we ended up being able to open for them. So oh, I wanted to go anyway. I was like wearing their t-shirt while opening for them, got to kind of, you know, briefly meet them. So that was kind of a dream come true. And uh, there was a really good crowd. It was at a really uh, cool venue. So, so far, that's probably been my favorite. And that was just a few months ago. So, Yeah, it was, that was just this summer. And it was, yeah, the, the venue, the crowd, like, it's definitely a step up from what we're, we were used to. So it felt like you're taking that next step and you're opening for a band you really, like, uh, enjoy and respect. So, yeah, I was going to say that one, too. Yeah, geez. Sounds like, uh, you know, I love when things like that happen because it's like, it's almost... Like that's the point when you realize all the hard work is paying off and you're actually getting places, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a cool feeling for sure. Not to get too negative now, but we'll switch it around. Is there a gig you would say was the worst experience you've had and how did you deal with it? That's that's a way easier question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> We've been a band for almost 10 years. Like there's so many, there's so many hilarious ones. I, I don't think it's 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 not so much like this is terrible, but it's just like this is hilarious. Like you, you were mentioning our first few shows, like we played the the 4 a.m. rave as a classic. Like we we yeah. we had a start time at 4 a.m. uh playing at a rave that was a like metal and EDM. Like there were two stages in two in two rooms. Right. Uh and it was in like the, the basement of a Chinese restaurant and you just kind of go and rave and either listen to metal or listen to EDM. And like <laughs> our start time was 4am. So we just like attended this rave and like hung out and like tried to stay awake. And we played from four till 5am to probably like three people, maybe one of whom was conscious and like <laughs> went, went out after and watched the sunrise, and like had a 5am beer and called it a night. Like it was crazy. Oh man. <laughs> I think you misheard the question. Now. He, was, he was asking about the worst gig, not the best. <laughs> I was kind of thinking that that doesn't sound like the worst. <laughs> um, <laughs> it definitely like, like while you're mid, you're mid set at that gig, you're looking out and you're like, what, like, what, what are we doing? Like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> um, it was fun though. Th- there were some, there were a few where we were opening for bands that were kind of on their last legs. It felt like, um, I won't necessarily call either of them out but there's a, f- a few times where we've been to shows where it was maybe like a farewell tour or a band that was doing maybe a 10-year anniversary of something that had been a big hit but with a success that they hadn't quite matched and sort of we'd be opening and, and these were usually bands that we did like and bands that we had listened to 10 years ago and we sort of thought like where'd they go and then they're playing and there might be five or ten people there and sort of it just creates a negative vibe and it's you sort of look there and you're like well that's almost feels like a cautionary tale in some ways. Like you, you sort of think about, you know, how would I feel if that, if that was me? It would feel pretty shitty to be like wrapping it up to like 10, you know, playing for 10 kids after all this time in the game. So a few of those were pretty negative um, and, and were sort of a, a window into kind of the harsh reality, right? Where there's these bands that were like, oh, well, yeah, that's a huge band, right? Like they had that, that thing 10 years ago. And it's like, well, yeah, they had that thing 10 years ago. Right. And and they might have been producing stuff that I hadn't heard since then. So it, it, it's always been tough to see that. Yeah. Yeah. One just came to me then. How would you make sure that doesn't happen to you guys? You know, how would you keep on top of your game to make sure that you had continued success, I suppose? I think it helps that we're, I mean, 
I don't want to speak for everyone, but like we're all fairly neurotic <laughs> and like we're very careful in what we do. Like we mentioned not gigging a lot and that's kind of part of it is that like you, you, you wait and you build up the anticipation and you let people chill and, and miss you. And then you go back and they're like, they come and see you just like things like that. And, and, and knowing when to say no to gigs and knowing what we want and how we're going to get it. We're very methodical. We're like very, uh, we all are relatively on the same page. So we, we can really have these conversations with each other and it's never just like, Oh, we haven't gigged in a while. Let's just take the first one that comes to us. Like we're very careful about what, what we do. So, and that's, that's true for writing too. We're never just like, Oh, we need a song. Let's finish the song and release it. So in all aspects of our stuff, like I mentioned not taking ourselves seriously, but like we, I think we take ourselves very seriously in a lot of ways, but also we like, we're loose and we have fun. So it's, it's it's taking the, what we're doing seriously and like not putting out shitty stuff, not taking shitty gigs, like just taking you know taking pride in what we're doing all the time, and and it clearly resonates with people because you're 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 not gonna, I don't know if 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 we're working hard on something and we produce something that's good and that we like know is good, then so far it's worked. So I think it'll keep working. Yeah, I think at the end of the day we're we're accountable to ourselves and as long as we keep producing stuff that we're proud of and that we genuinely like, um, then, then there's nothing to worry about. Uh, we've had songs that are kind of in the pipeline that just aren't clicking. We don't release them. I, I, I wouldn't want to change our sound to, to make people happy or to cater to anything or to pander. Um, people can, I think, sense that. And we're just kind of being ourselves and, and having fun. And, and that's what people like about it. So as long as we're having fun and we're proud of our stuff and like, genuinely enjoy our own songs i think it's really hard to enjoy your own music because you're so close to it but i often will go back to something years later and listen to it and and i can still find some enjoyment in that and be like there's cool i would listen to this you know like we've always wanted to make stuff that we would listen to that we felt needed to exist or should exist um so as long as we keep having that feeling of being proud of it thinking that it's good and feeling like this is good enough to release you know that, that then we're then we're doing the right thing yeah yeah and you know when you guys say you're playing a series of gigs what sort of antics do you get up to backstage you know before the show i mean we're definitely like not super like crazy party guys but like we're we're kind of big nerds so like they're like you know our bass is really into Yu-Gi-Oh. like he'll be playing Yu-Gi-Oh online before a gig uh <laughs> i'll be like you know quietly looking up sports scores i I don't know we it's it's not it's not anything too too crazy but we just we just like to mess with each other like we've known each other a long time now so we'll definitely like give each other shit and just i don't know can't think of any actual good examples (laughs) i'm pretty low-key before i'm a a bit of a diva before performing uh because my voice and everything so I don't like, especially when we're playing later in the night, people show up and you have to talk over the music at the gig. Like, I'm going to fry my voice before I even start the show. So often I'm basically hiding before a show, finding somewhere like before one big gig, I like went downstairs and had like a tea at the bar. So no one would talk to me. <laughs> um, so it, it's uh this is the prog version of 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 uh you know of backstage antics is like having tea and playing Yu-Gi-Oh, I think. <laughs> sure. There's also like our last our last gig uh was it a month or two ago? There was a, like a, a venue dog that was like in oh, the yeah. green room 
and we were all just completely content sitting and like hanging out with the dog and basically not speaking to each other so yeah that was a really really good pre-show ritual i like that right right and how do you psych yourself up for a show and then the reverse how do you wind down after a show depends on the show uh sometimes you need it more than others i think like again because we don't play too many shows anymore i'm automatically stoked like the week's coming up even i'm thinking about it and we rehearse rehearsing gets me gets me psyched as well like like when we were playing the the set a few times it's like oh shit okay this sounds good um i think it's more that i need to calm down before shows because <laughs> i'm like i'm like a little too uh antsy um but we we do a little we give each other a little pep talk sometimes and uh we all individually usually have our own little things like you'll have your vocal warm-up like I'll, I'll play a pad sometimes and the other two are always on their guitar bass like messing around kind of in their own bubbles for for a bit we'll do a little a little like four-way props before we get on and i think yeah i think naturally we get psyched i mean we've been doing this for so long like we know what we how much fun we have so it just it just is enjoyable yeah i basically same like rehearsal is huge i usually spend about a week or two uh, getting into shape so doing sort of practices on my own also like I'll run the set list just with tracks in like a room uh, just to make sure like for me I need to just remind myself that I'm physically capable of making those sounds so I'll be nervous until I go into that room and I'm like okay I will be I can either do this or I can do this well enough that I know I'll be able to do it when the time comes and and live it's always gonna be worse than it is kind of in that perfect environment so I just want to get it to a level where I know that if it's X amount worse, it's still going to be good enough for me to be proud of. Um, and uh, yeah, winding down. I mean, I I like, I it's super fun to headline, but I also like when we, when there's a band, especially a band that we like playing after us, because then you're done, you can chill, you can enjoy the show, you can chill at the, you know, the merch table and stuff. And um, yeah, it's nice. There's usually like a good kind of afterglow uh kind of wind down where you just sort of enjoy the night and, and usually meet people afterwards, the merch table and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. I love the, the merch table hangouts. That's always <laughs> a good, a good vibe after and just chatting uh, people. Yeah. People are always really nice, uh, especially when they've seen you. Uh, and if they don't know you, it's super cool to meet, to meet people there. Like I, I love the merch table hangs. You know, the last couple of years, the music, industry was totally decimated as a result of the the pandemic no gigs nothing happening as a band how did you guys deal with it and get through it we we spent a lot of time away from doing stuff uh not really by choice but yeah like you were saying we just like there were there were there was a good half a year or something that we just like didn't didn't do anything um slowly ramped it up and then i think at least for me, like when you haven't done that creative thing in a while that you're used to doing, like you're kind of itching for it. So it, it it was really easy to get back into, but it was, yeah, like you're mentioning, it's tough to like write tunes when you don't have gigs in the, any foreseeable future. So you're like, why am I writing these tunes? You know? So it, it was really tough creatively and it took, it took time to, to get back, back going. But the songs that we just like that we're finishing up and, and going to put out soon are, were born from that time period. I think yeah some so, before some during some after yeah <laughs> right so yeah but a couple a couple of them and, and they're great they're great songs so we, we definitely like just had to recalibrate and find our footing 
and we tried like the online like fully online writing stuff it didn't work too well like i think we all took our own little leave from it for a bit and then it, it brought us back uh stronger than ever like we were, we were okay to, to pick things back up and and the first gig back was was awesome and yeah yeah, I think we were a bit fortunate with the timing, at least where Beyond the Nest came out January 2020. Um, and then we played two shows to promo it, one in Montreal, one in Toronto. Uh, you know, February 28th, maybe 20, I guess it was, was it a leap year, maybe February 29th, and then March 1st. And then we had a big gig lined up uh in April um that we were really excited for. We were playing with animals as leaders at the Corona Theater of all places. Um <laughs> And then things got shut down, but I think we were fortunate that we had just put out Beyond the Nest um, and Pigeon Superstition was like getting a little blessed by the Spotify algorithm. And we kind of, you know, let it ride. And and it's, we're really fortunate that we seem to have sort of just been able to grow a little bit uh, organically just by at least having that piece of work out that we were proud of. And then, yeah, like Daniel was saying, we didn't, we basically didn't, didn't do anything for at least a year. Um, we had maybe half a song. And then we picked it back up um, once we were able to do stuff again physically. And, and yeah, I, I, we're also fortunate that we're in a position where we were able to to step away from it for a year and still be okay to get by and everything. So it's uh, definitely uh, tough times. Yeah, yeah, it is. And this is an interesting one now. Do you think that there's anything that kind of benefits, that came out at that time that benefits the music industry now? I mean, I've, what I've heard from from like touring bands is that it it allowed a lot of people to um to care for themselves a little more, like to not take those shitty jobs, and to kind of realize, well, now there's no jobs available, and my like I'm I'm not miserable all the time because I'm not on tour in a in a tiny van all the you know. So it's like little things that had that shift some perspective of maybe I shouldn't uh, accept people taking 30% of my merch sales. And maybe I shouldn't, uh, you know, accept this tour where I'm not given a lot of help or, you know, so I think that stuff is good. It doesn't necessarily affect us directly, but yeah. Yeah. I think it was a a pretty good time of like personal growth for a lot of people. You know, it's definitely like just a big life event for everyone. I think it, you know, definitely, Probably the first half was like some of the darkest times of my life. And then, you know, things really turned around. And a lot of that comes through in uh, in the lyrics and, and the themes of the upcoming release. Um, so, you know, any kind of dark time or, or, or big adversity is going to make you grow a ton as, a, as an individual. So uh, I suppose that's a positive, you know, I, I joke sometimes with other vocalists or people who write lyrics that like, when when we're super happy and things are going great it's like well i have nothing to write about <laughs> i was supposed to write metal music i'm happy um which i actually think is is pretty toxic and i and i i'd like to lead sort of this uh this revolution of 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 happy people writing metal be the content you know happier otherwise but uh you know i that was kind of interesting where i think when there's rough times you have no shortage of stuff to to write about or or negative experiences to pull from especially when you're writing heavier darker music so mm, yeah yeah and in t- in say 30 40 years time you know you're old you've gray hair you need a zimmer frame on stage you look <laughs> back at your career what needs to have happened for you to feel fulfilled and happy 
all I ever wanted was for people to mosh to my music. And that has happened, and I'm happy. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy and fulfilled already. Like we, the fact that sometimes you really we step back and we we think like the fact that we're even doing this at the level that we're doing is insane. Like we, I vividly remember us in the basement jamming those songs and being like, we could like, could we ever play a show? Like, could we ever do a show? Like that would be nuts. Like, there's no way. And it's like, what, how, how many shows have we done, you know? And, and, and people actually come to our shows and, and know the songs and like the songs and mosh. And it's like, whoa, it's pretty wild. So very thankful and, and, and grateful for that. But I guess, yeah, you, you just keep doing it. Like we were saying before, if you, if you love it, you keep doing it in whatever capacity you can. Uh, even if you're, if you're gray and can't move, just, uh, there's a, there's a reason it's been, the most consistent thing in uh in my life at least over the past decade right so it's we love to do it if we keep keep loving it we'll keep doing it so yeah right right. and we spoke about the new music earlier on but what are your future plans what's locked in place is there dates you can give us no No dates (laughs) right (laughs) but Um, yeah but music for sure uh we can say songs. next year, like 2023. Yeah. Something will come out in 2023 for sure. Um, nothing's locked in. To sort of jump back in terms of things I'd really like to do, we'd really like to get on a, a bigger proper tour, um, whether it's sort of around um, around Europe or, uh, or the US or even just across Canada. Um, so that's definitely a big goal for the future. But right now what we're looking at is, is we have these songs in the pipeline. We're going to release them. We're going to do music videos. We're going to get artwork. Like that's going to be a lot of work. Um, and that should start coming out next year for sure. Oh, brilliant. That was actually my next question. Would you guys ever consider a national or a European tour? So I'm glad to hear that you're, uh, that's in the pipeline anyway. Yeah, we'd love to come out. And we've spoken to some some people over there about about making that happen. So hopefully... Uh... Hopefully we can someday. It'd, it'd be really fun. I've never, I've never been to Europe. I'd love to go. Well, I'll tell you one thing: your music would absolutely be just loved over here. You definitely have a massive crowd for it anyway. Sweet, good to hear. And we'll dive into the last couple of questions. So everybody gets these, so you can't get off the podcast till you answer. I'm afraid. If you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Oh man. It's a great question. Um, let's see. I w- I would want to see Chester Bennington again. I saw him once, but but uh that he was such an influence and, and so that, that hit really hard. Um and maybe that's a bad answer to, to want to see someone you've already seen again, but uh that's what comes to mind right now. No, that's understandable. He's yeah. there's thousands of people that he's on the list that they didn't get a chance to see. So yeah, I'd maybe go the Beatles. Right, I think right. that would be sick to see that show. I was yeah. I was thinking that that would definitely cross my mind. Just just as a cultural phenomena, that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Which era though would it be? The Cavern Club, the Wrigley Field, or the rooftop gig? I mean, 
probably yeah I w- i'd w- just want to be in one of those massive like like the one of the stadium yeah the, the, like wrigley field one or like just bring them bring them over here like do a do a a downtown montreal show that'd, that'd be cool and just like the streets the streets full and you you have screens like a city away and there's still people in the streets to see them yeah yeah be epic and the next one then kind of a weird one if you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history who would it be i've got uh the vocalist from counterparts in my head brandon murphy because i'm seeing them tomorrow for the first time and they're one of my favorite bands and i've always wanted to pick his brain and uh seems to be a very funny guy too so i think it would make the 24 hours uh manageable and hilarious <laughs> that's what you want yeah this is tough let me think um Roberts is good um hmm. from history oh can i come back to this one <laughs> if you want you can't get you can't get off the podcast yeah no, i can't get off the podcast it's gonna be yeah, dead air next week so much dead air oh man <laughs> um I'll say, okay, I'll just, I want someone like, I'd want to talk to someone about lyrics specifically. I'd want to specifically talk to someone about lyrics. You know what? I'm going to say uh, Arif from Protest the Hero. He wrote the lyrics for their first two albums. And like I said, Kazaya um, was so formative and it, I love like analysis and I, you know, unpacking the layers and discussing the hidden meaning of that album was so important to me. Um, becoming the musician I am so I'd want to talk to him about the themes and the meaning and how he constructed that especially because he was so young when they wrote that good choice so good choice and the final one what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life let's see Um, that's one I always go back to I'm gonna go hmm. (laughs) holds a lot of weight this decision I'm going to imagine, I'm going to say uh, Second Sucks by Day to Remember. And I'm imagining it's playing as I'm like coming out to to do like a WWE wrestling match. Like that's my <laughs> intro song. Oh, that's cool. Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, Language One by The Contortionist. Because that's one of the best songs ever written. Right. right. That's a good reason. So. <laughs> right, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved getting an insight into your music now. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having us on. Yeah.
Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is DJ JC, and I'm one of the DJs over at Super Cool Radio. I host a one-hour metal show called The Brutal Block. We have new episodes every Tuesday, dropping at noon. So if heavy metal music is something that you're into, then make your way over to The Brutal Block. Throw up the horns, and let's get rockin'. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking! Hey! Hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here.